Jack, it is great to have you here. Great to be on with you. It's been a while and uh, thrilled to join you today. Jack, uh, we have a poll question this morning, and it's based off the fact that uh, Shaquille O'Neal was had his jersey retired by the Orlando Magic. First, first player in their franchise history to have their jersey retired. And so our poll deals with who should be the first Raptor that has their jersey retired. And we've had some spirited discussion today. I'll put you on the spot. Who would you choose as number one? Uh, in my opinion, I would say probably Kyle Lowry, um, just based upon winning and, uh, you know, the period of winning that the Raptors had. And if you look at the, uh, you know, time from what it was a 2013, 14 until he left, left and, and the winning percentage of the franchise, uh, playoff opportunities, playoff success. Uh, all-star appearances and obviously uh, winning a, ch- a championship as well. Uh, I think you put it all together from a cumulative perspective, and I would say he would be that guy. So, uh, yeah, I would say Kyle Lowry would be number one. I would probably uh, – I heard, you know, the uh, uh, note from a, a listener uh, before I came on that, that you guys were chatting about. And I would say probably DeMar DeRozan, too. And then, yeah, I think uh, I do think Vince Carter, uh, when it's all said and done, yeah, I, I don't think he handled his exit well. Um, but there was blame on both sides. I think if you asked me back in, what was it, 20, 2003, 2004, whatever the year was, uh, compared to where I am now in 2024, uh, and you look at the impact that he made on the growth of the sport in Canada, and look, if Vince Carter played in Vancouver, Vancouver would still have a team. You know, like that's the impact. Uh, you have Canada's number two in the world in representation and NBA players. So to me, I think a big part of that is, you know, all those kids getting hooked on, on basketball. And a big part of that is Vince. So you, you can't discount that. You know, so to me, I think it's just, it's vital that people remember that. Well, I think you've, you framed that really well, too, Jack, because as you indicated in Vancouver, the painful loss of the Grizzlies, big country wasn't the marquee player that you build a franchise around, as opposed to someone as dynamic and impactful as Vince, as Vince was, certainly in Toronto. Uh, aside, you know, putting aside the, uh, the rather, uh, the rather uh, negative exit that he had from the franchise, but you, you summarized it really well. And actually, that segues uh, for me, Jack, into the current Raptors. You've been with the organization for a long time. Have you ever seen this many moves made within the Raptors team during a season like you've seen this year? We'll go into good moves, maybe not so good moves, but in terms of just the the number and the the, the changeover in the team this year, what are your thoughts and feelings on that? Well, I, I, I don't know the historical – I mean, I, this is my 26th year. Uh, I don't know the historical uh, perspective. In ter- I don't have it in front of me in terms of the number of moves made uh, by whatever GM was in, in control at that time um, compared to this one. Uh, but th- there obviously has been a flurry of activity. And, uh, look, the reality is this. They made a coaching change. They lost Fred Van Vliet in free agency. Um 
I still think they thought that they could be competitive and be a playoff team. Um, and then when they didn't get, did not get off to a good start, I think reality set in. And I think they came to grips with the fact that, hey, you know what? We need to blow this up. And obviously, OG Ananobi goes first. Pascal Siakam goes second. You know, they, they just didn't feel like those guys were on the timeline and they needed to reboot, reload, re, you know, whatever, whatever, rebuild, whatever uh, term you want to use. But they needed to change things. And they did. And I think it was the right thing to do. Um, so, you know, here we are now. And um, to me, I think they're on a, a path that needed to be taken. And look, if you're not going to win with OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam, despite the fact that you don't have Van Vliet, you brought in Schroeder to fill that. And, you know, it wasn't happening. And, it, you know, there's the element, too, of even if you want to bring uh, Siakam and Ananobi back, is there a logical uh, signability point for, for both parties? And um, to, to me, I just think they, they said, hey, you know, knowing the market, knowing where they were at, where other teams are at, where uh, Pascal and OG and their representatives were at, um, I think they made the decision to move forward, and here we are. Well, I think, Jack, uh, the, the, the descriptor that I come up with is that it's almost a controlled implosion. One of those buildings that, you know, you see the film of and that it all starts falling in, as opposed to a bomb just going off and saying, you know what, we got a clean house, let's just start making moves. And Messiah Jerry never makes a move that isn't calculated and really well thought through. Not that they all work. But everything's methodical and analytical. Now, he's brought in R.J. Barrett, Toronto's own, uh, quickly, uh, among others. But what, what's your first impression of the trade where Ananobi went to the Knicks and R.J. and quickly primarily came from the Knicks? And do you think in the net outcome of that, it's in the Raptors' favor? Well, as you know, I grew up in New York, so uh, I have a lot of family and friends that have asked me about this trade, and obviously a, a ton, a ton of Raptor fans that ask you that as well. And my response has always been, you know, the best trades are the ones that work on both sides. And to me, I think this one did. Uh, I think the Knicks got a really good player that fits their style and what they need. Uh, a stout two-way player, good three-point shooter, great defender uh, in in pass in, in excuse me in OG Ananobi, and uh, you know from a secondary perspective, give Precious Achua credit; he's done a pretty solid job so far for them. Okay, so with that being said, on the other side, the Raptors get uh, a young lead guard and, and Emmanuel quickly, who's played primarily as a pro so far as a second unit guy. And some obviously some minutes with as a starter and some minutes against starters, um, and you know you need to find out what's there. And uh, I think he was the most intriguing piece of this trade, and I think he's going to be a very good player. Is he there yet? No. But if you look at what he's done the last two games, if he can do that on a consistent basis, they got something pretty good. And then uh, R.J. Barrett, to me, was not a good fit in New York in terms of the style of play they play and what they were asking him to do. Uh, I think he's a guy that plays better in in flow, read and react, Uh, just a style of play that, you know, just the pace um, that fits him better. 
And if you look at how he's played so far in Toronto, I think the style fits him better. I think that's a great way uh, to frame RJ's, uh, the way RJ plays. Tom Thibodeau, I'm surprised, to be honest with you, Jack, at how well the Knicks organization has been able to grow around Tom Thibodeau because he really is an acquired taste as an NBA coach. A lot of old school elements in Tom and the way Tom coaches the game. And I think the way OG plays, it does fit Thibodeau's defensive-oriented style of play. And I think RJ, he just has to be in the right environment. And you've seen that so many times throughout your career, Jack, of players aren't doing well in one franchise and they thrive elsewhere because their style of play fits the team style of play that they go to. That certainly seems to be work for uh, what's working out for RJ. Yeah, no, I think it is working for RJ, and I think it's also working for OG in terms of, now obviously he's got to get healthy, uh, but that unfortunately has always been an issue with him, and now the Knicks are learning that. And, um, you know, we'll see how that shakes out as they go forward here getting ready for the playoffs. Um, you know, to your point about Tom Thibodeau, I've known Tibbs, geez, I don't know, uh, man, probably 35 years Um since, you know, when I was a college coach, we, he and I used to work basketball camp together. I was at Fordham, and he was at uh, Harvard as an assistant. Uh, so I've known Tibbs a long time. He's a terrific coach. Uh, he's got a lot more charisma than he lets on. And uh, he's a basketball junkie. He's a grinder. Uh, yes, he is an acquired taste. He's a guy that's kind of a turnaround artist, you know, that will come in as he did in Chicago and Minnesota and now in New York, and he will turn your program around, and he will make an impact, and he will get you on the path to winning. And he's done that all three places. And then there's that point where uh, can he take you the whole distance? And, you know, only time will tell on the biggest stage if he can do that. Do I think this is an NBA championship contender? No. So I would stand up for him and say their ultimate absolute ceiling would probably be like a Super Bowl for them would be getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think that would be a great year for them. Um, that would be an amazing year for them. I don't, and I'm not sure if they're good enough to even get there, but that's about as close as you could get. And then they're going to have to do more with the roster to get to the next level. So he's done a really good job there, and uh, let's see when they're healthy, if they're healthy, um, if they can do that. But, I, again, to the point about the Raptors, I think it's a, you know, a trade that benefited both teams, and I'm excited for uh, the Raptors' side of it. Uh, nice to see the Knicks. Hey, good for them. They're, you know, they're in playoff contention. It's worked out for them. Uh, but I'm happy if you're a Raptor fan, you've got to be happy with the trade. You're listening to The Basketball Show on Sports 1440. I'm your host, Paul Sir, with Jack Armstrong. Uh, Jack Scotty Barnes, great young talent. Is he the franchise player you should build around for long-term success? Well, you know, first of all, I don't like when people, uh, particularly a team people, uh, even mention the term uh, franchise player. Um, the fact that maybe he's your franchise player doesn't necessarily mean he is a franchise player. Um, and I'm not referring at all to Scotty in any way, shape, or form. I, in my opinion, 
that that discussion, not only in basketball, but hockey, baseball, football, whatever, people just want to anoint guys because they're trying to sell tickets or market or whatever. And um, it's a very it's a slippery slope. It's dangerous. Uh, do I think he has a chance to be a really, really good player? Yes. Do I think he's a really good player already? Yes. So there's a lot to like there. Um, you know, to say he's Magic Johnson or uh, Michael Jordan or whatever, and he's going to be uh, the guy that, you know, overwhelmingly gets you where you want to get, I don't know the answer to that yet. I mean, he's only in his third year, so it's, it's, it's a lot of – there's a lot of runway. There's a lot of, a lot of things that got to get figured out down the road. But to me, um, it, it's a good start where he's at. And, uh, you know, the fact that he had the all-star experience this year is really good for him. And uh, I'm encouraged by a lot of the things I'm seeing from him. So, um, you know, I, I, again, I'm not sure. Franchise player, you know, who knows? Um, I, I think he's really, really good, though. I've got three players. We'll do a real quick run-through on these three Raptors players, Jack, before we head to break. Who would have thought Jakob Pertl would be such an important part of this Raptors team? Is that a fair statement? Well, based upon the trade they made, he better be. <laughs> and <laughs> the fact that they signed True. him, the fact that they gave him that contract, he better be. Um, you know, so that, that number one is a big thing that, uh, you know, that has to be the case. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've always liked Jakob, you know, from the first time they got him, obviously at the university of Utah as a draft pick and, uh, his development as a pro, he's a, he's a good pro. He's a hardworking guy. He's a really good player. You know, does he have limitations? Yes, he does. No doubt that that is a fact, you know, he doesn't shoot free throws well, his game beyond 10 feet is limited. But uh, otherwise, he, he'll do a good job for you. And um, he does a really good job rebounding, screen setting, cutting, movement, passing, scoring around the rim. Um, and he's just going to be a good, reliable, steady Eddie type of teammate. So, um, you know, in today's NBA, I like the fact that they brought in a Kelly Olynyk because he gives you a different look. Uh, being able to play at the five and shoot the ball because spacing and cutting and the way the Raptors try to play space is a big factor uh, for them in terms of the style. And I think in most teams now, the way that the points of emphasis are for most teams in terms of style of play, your, your five man has to be able to do more than just play around the basket. Uh, unless they're just a dominant post player. And we don't see that very often in the NBA anymore. So, uh, but Jakob is, Jakob is, he, he is what they thought he was, and he does it, he plays to the best of his ability, and, and he gets a lot out of what he has. Talk to me about Gary Trent. Uh, I, I think if there's one player that probably gets more eyebrows raised in terms of how good is this guy really and how good is he capable of becoming, it would be Gary Trent. He's had a couple of really nice games since the All-Star break. Prior to the All-Star break, I think there was some grumbling out there. Was that deserved? And what what's your opinion of Gary Trent, not just as a player, but as a teammate? Well, Gary's a good guy, number one. Um, 
So, you know, there's no issues with him as a teammate. He's a good guy. He's a hard worker. He's a pro, well-liked. So none of that exists. He's, he's, he's a really good guy, and he, and he works at it. He's a gym rat. He loves basketball. Um, you know, if, if he can play the way he's played the last two nights against Brooklyn and Atlanta, then, wow, you're like, okay, now, you know. But that the, the consistency element is going to be the big thing. Like, and, and, and getting on both sides of the ball from him and, uh, you know, that element of it. And to me, I think that's the one thing that kind of is the elephant in the room and say, you know, is, is this guy going to hit that next level? I said it on the air the other night. I think Emmanuel quickly has another notch on the belt that he can get to, another gear. Uh, I would say the same thing for Gary Trent Jr., maybe a notch and a half if there's such a thing. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there's, you know, there's, some, there's some holes there. Uh, but there's also a lot of positives. And, you know, a guy that can shoot the ball that well is an important guy in the NBA. It's just the other things he brings to your team in terms of uh, making your team better and that, to me, uh, is is the area that, you know, you want to see more consistency from, you know, being a consistent defender, uh, having a, a greater awareness of what the other nine guys on the floor are doing, uh, a little less tunnel vision. Um, you know, when his offense is off a little bit, can he still be a key contributor to your team, even if his shot is, or if he's shooting two for nine that night, is, can he still impact winning? And those are the things that uh, I look at when I watch them that, uh, you know, there needs to be some improvement. Final Raptors question before we jump to break. Uh, aside from the fact that uh, I think there's a, an element of fiction in the commercials that you and Matt voice for Grady Dick. I really don't think Grady Dick shaves, Jack. If I could, <laughs> I, well, I, 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 I don't voice them. Uh, I, I, if I am, I'm a, I want to, I, I want to get some checks for it. Cause I don't, I don't voice. So that's commercials. not you. No, it must be Matt. Cause I don't, I, uh, if I'm voicing them, then they better be sending. They better a check, be paying you. Absolutely. <laughs> no, they've, they've, they've hired a Jack Armstrong imitator than impersonator. But, well, uh, I didn't, I didn't know that. I got I got to check on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Grady Dick. I think, you know, as is the is so typical in the age of social media, there were a lot of people, you know, throwing water on the, the Raptors drafting him very early on. But lately we've started to see that. And this would be my summary of Grady. Grady is a very good basketball player who can really shoot. He's not just a shooter. Fair statement. Accurate. Fair. Uh, yeah. You know, that I, I think uh, he's got a chance to be a rotation player in the NBA for a long time. Now, is he going to be a starter? You're going to have to describe for me who the other four starters are and, and what level of contention you're going to be at, um, kind of to where he fits in that. Uh, but there's no doubt in my mind on any team in the NBA, all 30 teams, I think he's a rotation guy. What do I mean by that? I mean, he's in your top eight, nine, no doubt, playing every night. So that's a good thing. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, on many nights he can play heavy minutes. Um, you know, so I, I really like what I'm seeing. I, I, I agree with you. I, he can shoot it. 
and he's going to shoot the ball. You know, early in the year, he really struggled shooting the ball. But I think if you look at where he is now, uh, I think he could end up being a high 30s, low 40s three-point shooter. And then a guy with a game that complements all that, you know, that when the ball gets to him on the weak side uh, and you close out quick on him, he can put the ball in the deck of two bounces and get to the rim and finish or get into paint and make that next play. A positive play for a teammate. So there's a lot to like there. Jack, it's uh, I'm really grateful that you're going to be coming back for another segment because we're just getting rolling. When you when you come back, we're going to talk about the NBA and the stretch run that we're we're looking at coming up right now. So we'll take a break from uh, you're listening to the basketball show on Sports 1440. After this, we'll be back once again with the great Jack Armstrong. Welcome back to the basketball show. I'm your host, Paul Sir, here with Jack Armstrong. Jack, I hope you appreciate the lead-in music of Steely Dan's Get Back, Jack. With this, But I, I changed the title a little bit to Welcome Back, Jack. <laughs> well, you know what? I've, I've also heard the, the song Hit the Road, Jack, in my career. So uh, I'd much rather hear that song. <laughs> this song that you just played. <laughs> Jack, NBA, uh, we won't talk about the All-Star game. That's been beaten to death. But let's talk about the stretch run in the NBA. Eastern Conference, Boston Celtics, clear-cut favorite to get to the Eastern Conference Finals, in your mind, and get to the NBA Finals? Or do you think another – I know there are other teams, of course, that have the opportunity to to beat Boston, but in your mind, are they the best team in the East? Yeah, Definitely. If they're healthy, yes. Uh, you know, because they have the efficiency on both ends. They can be a really impactful defensive team. Uh, they can score the ball. You know, once in a while they, they shoot too many threes at times, in my opinion, or untimely ones. And look, the analytics people, uh, and, and I respect their judgment on a lot of this stuff, and um, there's, there's a, a strong case for many of the things that, that are being uh, that are out there. Um, I just think that there's a, an important element too of time and score and the type of shot you take and what it does to your defense and what it does to your momentum and the momentum of the game. So that's always something to be respectful of as well. But as long and I think they're getting better at that. And um, you know I think we're seeing uh, you know the, the addition of Porzingis. Uh, has really helped, and you're not seeing as much uh, Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum. You know your your time, my time, kind of thing taking turns. I think there's a more conscious understanding of of how important it is to, to play as a team. So uh, I love Derek White. Um, I'm a huge fan of him. Drew Holiday is a a great great player, as we know, tremendous two way player, and Al Horford still gets it done, and uh, you know. They, they have a, enough good little secondary pieces that they can throw in there when needed and won't need as much, obviously, as we know in the playoffs. You count more on your top seven guys. So, to me, I think uh, they're in a good place. I'm going to ask you a bit of a loaded, odd question, Jack. Were the Milwaukee Bucks better with Drew Holiday or with Damian Lillard? Well, I, I would... Me personally, uh, I would say, uh, you know, it's hard. You know, I, 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 you know, obviously they made a coaching change now with Doc Rivers. 
And nobody's talking about it, and I'm a little disappointed because the guy's a heck of a player. Chris Middleton's been out, you know, and Chris Middleton's a really good player. Uh, To see now a new coaching staff and a healthy Chris Middleton and Damian Lillard and playing for a while together, I think that'll be the true thing. Uh, to see if their vision in terms of the move they made this offseason made sense. But I'll say this. The Boston Celtics were laughing because they were like, okay, we'll take, we'll take Drew Holiday. <laughs> you don't want him, we'll take him. And they navigated that beautifully to get him. So uh, to me, the only time will tell. If we see a healthy Middleton and a healthy Bucks team, then that's their true ceiling and can Doc figure that out. Um, but I would say the, what we've seen so far, I, you know, I, I still think a, a Drew Holiday is a better overall fit, but Damian Lillard's a much better offensive player. Are the Indiana Pacers the surprise team for you in the Eastern Conference? Uh, I would say no. Uh, I mean, because they're a lot of fun and they're very entertaining. But at the season and today, they're barely, you know they're the sixth seed, so um, you know they're they're on a record pace. I mean they're number two all time I think in scoring. Uh, I had the game Monday night. I've already done you know I did their game the last time in Indiana. Um, you know they're they're fun. The teams that I, I look at, I, I think the Orlando Magic have really grown and made some great strides. They play hard. They defend. They're a young team that. Um, has battled a lot of injuries and had a really good year. Uh, I like where they're heading, and I, I like the Cavs. You know, the Cavs have really, you know, they're the number number two seed in the East, and nobody's talking about them. Now, do they have enough uh, variety in what they do uh, to be, at, you know, uh, beyond uh, Donovan Mitchell to get it done? But they got size, they defend, they got three-point shooting, they have depth. Um they're a really good team. Now, are they built more for the regular season than they are the playoffs? Only time will tell. Particularly, you know, like if you have a team that has a defensive stopper like uh, uh, Boston does and New York does in Ananobi, and you know, obviously Boston's got a few of them, uh, can that then take Cleveland out of who they are? Uh, you know, so does that make them more of a 50-win regular season team? But when you take Donovan Mitchell out of it, the other guys are just good, not great. Um, only time will tell. But they're, they're real sound. So I would say the two, two teams that jump at me more would be the Cavs and, and the Magic. Even though Indiana's a better record than the Magic, I think the Magic, based upon their experience and all that, has probably gotten a little more out of who they are. I, I look at the the Pacers as kind of the cotton candy of the NBA right now. I think, like you said, they're a lot of fun to watch. Over a seven-game series against a really good team, that style of play is, is really going to be hard to sustain, I think. But uh, it's been fun to watch, I think, Jack, through the course of this season, this exponential explosion in scoring and the small to medium-sized market teams in both the East and Western conferences really start to take hold and come into their own. It's a very different-looking different NBA than even two years ago, don't you think? Yeah, no, and, and uh, teams have figured out, uh, you know, the, the rules. I mean, uh, smart coaches, smart executives figure out the rules, and, and 
the way the NBA is officiated now and the rules that exist, um, there's a certain way you can play and there's certain points of emphasis uh, that you can play with. And in terms of your scouting and player development and all those types of things, uh, you have to be in tune with that. And I think if you look at the Oklahoma cities and the, uh, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the Cleveland's of the world, um, you know, they're, uh, you know, Sacramento a year ago, um, you know, there's teams out there that have uh, a pretty neat uh, outlook in terms of how they put their teams together. So, you know, obviously Minnesota made a huge trade uh, with the whole Rudy Gobert situation. Uh, they had a tough loss last night, but they're really good. Um, but, you know, only time will tell playing those two bigs and, you know, how much depth they really have. But they, they're a good team. Um, so it's fun. I mean, you look at the Western Conference. I mean, geez, you got the Clippers, the Nuggets, Oklahoma City, Minnesota. You know, right now, if the season ended today, in uh, if it was eight years ago, uh, the, the Lakers and, and Warriors wouldn't even be in the playoffs. Yet here we are. We're going to be looking at those guys in the playing tournament. How crazy is that? So it's uh, it's very and then and then even if we look at the West, was it five through seven, five through eight? It's so it's so stacked up as well. When you got New Orleans and Dallas and um, you know teams like that that are just are very good that you would not want to play in a first round. Well, and I think you. You you took my segue away, Jack. I was going to go right to the West because you and you've summarized it so well. It is compelling that people have figured the formula out, and I really point to the Denver Nuggets last year and they're winning the championship as I think the uh, standard bearer for figuring the form uh, the formula out and having a second round draft pick in Nikola Jokic, having a Jamal Murray, and then building their team around the different components that you have to have in order to be successful today. And that has been duplicated by a lot of the mid-market and small-market teams now. So the big guys just writing big checks no longer, at this juncture anyway, can just buy themselves a championship by stacking themselves up with top what people consider to be top-tier stars. Well, and here's the other thing. Uh, you know, the new cap, uh, you know, the new collective bargaining agreement that went into place, um, and the second apron in terms of the luxury tax uh, is very, uh, you know, if you, if you don't manage your P's and Q's, uh, you, can, you can get in big trouble real fast. And you got to do a good job in terms of cap management, not only the player evaluation and development and all the things that go into building a winning organization. So uh, do you have to be a cap team over the luxury tax team to win? I would say, yeah. Um, the Raptors were when they won it. Um, and, you know, credit to ownership to, for the willingness to do that when the time came. And I think when the time comes again, they'll do it again. Um, so to me, I just think it's, uh, you know, that second apron now has changed things a little bit. And we got a lot going on in the NBA horizon that is coming up. I mean, you know, obviously a new TV deal is being negotiated. You know, what, has happened, what happens there? Is it double? The value of the current one, is it double and a half? Is it triple the value of it? I don't have the slightest idea where it's going to end up, but that's going to impact the cap. There's going to be more money into the system, and the players are 50% partners in that, so the cap will increase. You look at the NFL, if I'm not mistaken, the cap increased 
by 30 million per team. That's incredible. That's that's um, amazing money. Like you, you yeah, just can't you know, even so, fathom that. Yeah, and and you know, and that goes to the players, you know, and that means owners are making more money too. And franchise values go through the roof. And then the other element is we're going to have expansion as well, and that's going to be two more markets at the very least. And I would say probably uh, right now, I'd say the two two cities that would be my odds on favorites would be probably Las Vegas and Seattle. Seattle should have never lost the team to begin with. Um, but those would be the two. And then who knows, maybe a Vancouver, a Montreal, a, a Mexico City, whatever. There's a you know number of others that will be mentioned, Nashville. Uh, but I would say that, you know, so there's going to be more money coming in the system. And, and for players, you had two more teams, there's 34 more jobs. Uh, and there's more jobs for coaches and everybody. So it's it's a it's a good time. And you know, you made the point about the All Star thing, and we won't talk about it. And I agree with you because I'm worn out talking about it. <laughs> I would say the one thing that concerns me is let's not kill the golden goose here. Things are really good. They've never been better economically for the league, and economically for players is 50 percent partners. Let's not kill the golden goose. And let's make sure we keep growing the game and doing it the right way and benefiting not only the game currently, but what's more important for the game as we go forward in the next 10 to 20 years. Because, Paul, I'm like you. I love the game. I love the game, and I am concerned about that golden goose. But I've been the – I've been – Chicken Little saying the sky is falling far too long, and I've learned to back off on that. But I do think no matter what industry you're in, if you make the mistake that you think this is just going to keep growing and going on indefinitely, that that is potentially a fatal flaw, even for pro sports, because number one, it's so expensive to take a family to a game now. Okay, that that, that we understand. How much more, though, is it going to cost for families to attend games? Not that there won't be people that'll pay, but that's a topic for another time. I'd love to dive into you because in with you, because I'd like even to talk with you further, Jack, about uh, Silver's comments recently about the way the games played and taught in North America uh, with, you know, I think people pointing to five of the top six uh, MVP candidates right now are players born outside of the United States. And uh, so I think those there's some real compelling issues in amongst all this great news that is the NBA. Well, I'm with you there. I, I you know, you make some great points. And uh, as, as I said, we both love the game and the game's at a great place. But you're right. Uh, you know, don't push it to a point where uh, you shoot yourself in the foot and you uh, alienate fans because not only the t- price of tickets, but um, you know, sponsors reach a point uh, that they say, you know, enough's enough if it's not what they want it to be. And the same thing with networks. Uh, that cost gets passed down as well to the consumer because if they're going to pay bigger money for rights fees, it go, somebody's paying for that. It's not coming out of their pocket. It's coming out of the people that, that pay for it. You know, so there's a, there's a lot of things in place. But the positive is live sports – Going to a game, watching a game, uh, is still an amazing experience. And um, our we have the greatest players in the world, 
And I'm not one of those crotchety, cranky, old cane waivers that says the good old days. I'm not because I'm not because I look at today's players and they're great. And their journey to get to greatness was different than the guys 20, 30, 50 years ago. But that doesn't mean they don't love the game any more than uh, or any less than the guys that played it back then. It's just the dynamics around these guys is totally different than the ones that uh, played 20 years ago, and it will be different 20 years from now. Couldn't agree with you more, and I love that image of the cane-waving, crotchety Jack Armstrong. Well, that's That's not me. (laughs) I know it's not. Jack, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I hope we can do this again real soon. Travel safely. All the best. You've been listening to Jack Armstrong, color analyst for the Toronto Raptors on TSN, joining us here on the Basketball Show. Thanks, Jack. You got it, Paul. All the best.